we are in 2 Peter this morning, so turn to 2 Peter with me. We're just going to jump right in. We've got a lot to cover this morning and want to make sure that we have ample time to do that. Uh, I'm going to read the passage for you. We're going to start in uh, chapter 1 and verse 3. We're going to work our way down to verse 11. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into the text uh, this morning. It says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Verse 5, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was once cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, we have just read Scripture And Lord, we seek to understand it in greater ways, not to just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of it. So help us, Lord, to to know you better, to learn in greater ways, and then help us to apply this truth to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. One of of the great blessings that we have of of living in Washington is that you get to go out, uh, especially on, on weekends like this, to the mountains and to the rivers and to the lakes and to go on to different kinds of hikes. Some of you, if I would say, hey, how many of you are going to go on a hike this week? And I'm sure some of you would, would even raise your hand. Some of you are like, uh, I love Washington, but I don't do hikes. And that's okay. Uh, you don't have to do hikes. But uh, one of the blessings of being here is that you can go all over this area and go on different kinds of hikes. And what it is, and you've been on these hikes before, is, is you're going up the mountain and or you're going to the lake, and you want to make sure that as you're going on these hikes that you have a, a, a sure footing underneath you. You want to make sure that you are not going to slip uh, down the side of the, of the hill. You want to make sure that underneath you is this, is this firm foundation by which to walk on lest you stumble and fall. What Peter is getting at here is, and we can see it down in verse, uh, verse 10 at the end, he says this, for if you practice these things, you will never fall. What Peter wants to do, similar to a hike, is he wants to make sure that you have a sure-footed foundation underneath you as you're walking in the Christian life. Oftentimes throughout the Bible, it, uh, uh, it says to us that you need to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. He, the Bible likens walking with God to our sanctification, to our spiritual growth, to our 
spiritual maturity. In fact, in Ephesians 4.1, it says, uh, the Apostle Paul said this, he says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And what Paul is telling us is this, is that we are to walk or grow or mature as spiritual believers according to the salvation by which we have been called. This is called our sanctification, not to be mistaken with justification. Our justification is that moment in time whereby you have been saved and declared righteous. And once you have been declared righteous in that moment, you are now on a path of sanctification. You're now on a walk with God. At the same time, the Bible also says this, that there are those who stumble in their walk. There are those who fall in their walk. In fact, it even says in, in Hosea chapter 14, 9, it says this, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. In James 3, 2, it says this very clearly, clearly right, right at the top of the verse, it says this, for we all stumble in many ways. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says this, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. And now in our passage here in 2 Peter, and I just read it, uh, in verse 10, it says this, For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall or you will never stumble. So what is Peter doing? What Peter is doing is this. He's giving insight into the Christian life so that you know how to walk in the Christian life, grow in the Christian life, without ever falling or stumbling. Peter writes this, and he writes here from verse 5 all the way down into verse 11. This short paragraph here on the way the Christian can grow in sanctification and how that growth in sanctification will keep them from falling. This really is a, a deep well of spiritual virtues to grow our faith. Now, if you remember with me, let me just back up a little bit here, because it's important to us, uh, for us to have a runway here as we, as we launch into verse 5, is to go back and remember this. In verses 1 and 2, Peter talks about this, the salvation of Jesus Christ. We talked about that two weeks ago, the salvation of Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about number two, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. If you look at verse three, it says, his divine power has granted to us what? All things that pertain to life and God godliness through the knowledge of him who has called you to his own excellencies and to his own glory. What is he saying? He's saying this, that in Jesus Christ, you have everything you need to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, you have everything that you need to live a life of godliness. We cannot do it alone. We are insufficient on our own, but we have the power of Christ. We have the provisions of Christ, and we have the promises of Christ to be a divine partaker in Christ. Christ is enough to live holy lives, which leads now to part three, which is verses five to 11, which is this, the sanctification 
to be like Jesus Christ. So verses 5 to 11 are talking about ways that you can become like Jesus Christ. I want to give to us, and this is going to be very practical for us this morning, as all these things are practical in nature. I want to give to us four aspects of a maturing believer. So if you've got a pen or you've got paper or you've, got, uh, you, you've, you've actually entered into 2020, you've got something digital in your hand, this is what you want to do. You want to write down these things to see what it is like to be a maturing believer. And number one is this. Verse five, number one, a maturing believer understands the motivation. Understands the motivation. What is the motivation by which you are to become like Jesus Christ? Well, there's a connection in verse 5 to the previous verses, and we can see that connection here, that the connection is this, is that God has given to you, through Jesus Christ, His power, He has given to you His provision, all things that pertain to life and godliness. They were granted to us by what? His precious and very great promises. Christ has given to you His power. He has given to you his provision, and he has given to you his promises by which you are now to live out a life of holiness. Our sanctification, listen to this, is entirely motivated by what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. This is why we are to live a life of godliness. Because he's granted to us all the power that we need, all the promises that we need, He's granted to us everything that we need in Jesus Christ, and the output of that is that we live a life motivated to become like Jesus Christ. This is a call to godliness. This is a call to live out the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is ours. As you can see it in verse 1, it is ours by the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. He then gives us everything we need to live a life of holiness. And the response to that is that we now are those who pursue holiness and pursue godliness and pursue Christ-like virtues. By saying this as well, Peter also points out this, that election, this faith that's been obtained, this election that he talks about in verse 10, is no excuse for spiritual immaturity, or for lack of effort in the Christian life. Oh, I'm saved. I'm always saved. I don't have to pursue holiness. Well, what is happening? It's going to happen, and it doesn't matter what I do. No, he says the exact opposite here, that Peter admonishes us to be diligent, to make every effort Divine election must never be an excuse for spiritual laziness. And what Peter does here, starting, starting in verse 5, is he, he helps us understand this, that he's not talking about a duty. These aren't duties of the Christian life. These are demonstrations of the Christian life. It's not our duty to become like Christ. It is our opportunity to demonstrate to the world who Jesus Christ is within us. This is a response to understanding your salvation. It's not obligation. 
It's, it's opportunity. You don't look at this lesson and go, oh, I have to be uh, faithful. Oh, I have to have knowledge. Oh, I have to have self-control. I, I have to have steadfastness. I have to have all these things. I have to have affection. I have to have love. No, you don't have to have any of those things. You get to do all of those things because you are in Jesus Christ. This is opportunity, and this is a response to what God has done for you. That's the greatest motivation you can have to live a life of holiness. It's not out of duty or obligation. Jim Berg says this, it's not the duty and obligation of the believer to grow in their own faith. Rather, the virtues are indications of their faith, and growth in them comes about, here it is, as a result of, of relying upon the power, provisions, and promises of Jesus Christ. Such a reliance is a faith that is rightly located in the righteousness of the one who is Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are motivated to grow in our faith because we rightly understand the gospel. Number two, a maturing believer then makes every effort Maturing believer makes every effort. Verse 5 says this, for this reason, what's this reason? What we just talked about, the gospel, the sufficiency of Christ. It says what? Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Down in verse 10, it says this, therefore, brothers, be what? All the more diligent to confirm your calling. What is he saying here? To make every effort is to have diligence to not give up, to work hard. It means to make haste. It means this, it's a call to serious human effort. Our walk with God is not without effort. We don't just wake up and say, you know what, I think today I'm going to be spiritually mature. You know what, today I think I'm going to figure out this whole godliness thing. We don't just wake up mature. We don't, uh, we don't just take a pill, which, uh, which, which we'd like to do. Is It's like, oh, I'll just take a pill, and this, this pill will make me godly today, like you take your vitamins. We don't get to just to drive through and, and grab a cup of coffee uh, at the coffee shop. We don't get just to drive through and say, hey, I'll order some godliness today and drink that as if that's the way you become godly. No, it, it takes effort. It takes a lot of effort upon the Christian to grow. They, they can't grow apart from effort in Christ. Salvation is for sure monergistic. It's one way, it's, it's one work by God in the life of the believer, but our sanctification is synergistic. We must work. We must effort. Philippians 2.12 says this, Therefore, my beloved as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my, my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding, here it is, in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your, la your labor is not in vain. In 1 Timothy 4, 7-10 says this, Discipline yourself for godliness. Like an athlete, you discipline yourself. You do it for the purpose of godliness. It goes on to say this, For to this we toil and strive. 
I think 1 Corinthians 15.10 says it best. This understanding grace and effort, it says, Paul said this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He recognizes it's by God's grace. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, look what he says. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Grace always precedes the man's. Grace does not cancel, cancel out our effort. If anything, grace only intensifies and energizes our effort. And so it says this, what does it say? It says what? Make every effort to do what? To supplement your faith. Make every effort to supplement your faith. Some of your translations may be supply or it may say, it may say add, add to your faith. What does this mean? It means this, abundantly and extravagantly supplying. The picture here for this, this word for add or, or supplement your faith, it's of a rich supporter of the arts supplying all that was necessary for a first century theater cast to train and perform. So you have all these people coming alongside the actors and they're giving them lodging, they're giving them food, they're giving them costumes, their wages, the set is all set up, the furnishings are all there. None of them did the acting, but they had come alongside and they'd make it possible for the actors to do all the acting that was necessary. In the same way, what Peter is saying, he's saying this, supply uh, the provisions that are granted to you in Christ to your faith. Add to your faith all these characteristics that are yours. Supply your faith with, with all of these virtues that are in Christ. We don't produce the fruit of the sanctification, but we are to earnestly and wholeheartedly cultivate the conditions whereby God can and will work out these qualities in you. And so we supplement what, what we know to be true about Jesus Christ, the, our faith in Jesus Christ. It even tells us in verse 1 that was obtained, it was given to us by God. We now supplement that with all these virtues, all these ways by which we become like Jesus Christ. And in many ways, these, these virtues in our life become the guard, guardrails to our life. They keep us from stumbling. They, they keep us from falling. As we lavishly put Christ on display in our life. But it takes work. It takes effort. We must be in the game. We must be trying. Which leads to number three, which is this. A maturing believer then displays Christ-like characteristics. A maturing believer displays Christ-like characteristics. If you're walking with God, to use our analogy of the hiker, if you're walking with God, then you're going to display these virtues in your life. And there are eight virtues here, eight Christ-like characters, characteristics that Peter gives to us that start at the end of verse 5 and make their way all the way down, all the way through, Verse 7. Now, I want to say something here, just, just as we start off the, right off the bat here. If you, if you look at these, it looks as though that one adds to the another. 
or that one builds upon the other. And, and I don't think that's the intent here that Peter has, is that you have to master one to get to the next, and you have to master that one to get to the next one. You have to master the next one, and so on and so forth, until you've mastered love, uh, the last one. Rather, I think we should see these, these eight virtues that are here more like a mixing bowl, where, where you mix together all the ingredients and you stir it up. You have all these qualities that are, that are kind of mixed together. One of the things that uh, my daughter Grace and I have done on occasion, uh, and we love to do, is we like to make brownies. I mean, who doesn't like brownies? I mean, just a nice, good uh, a fudge brownie in the evening, and, and we'll get together and we'll take all the ingredients We'll mix them all together, and then we, we absolutely have to taste the batter to make sure that it is good, and, and, and you taste it. But the picture here that I want in your mind is that all these virtues are going into this mixing bowl of characteristics of God, and in that then are all by which we have set before us to mature in Jesus Christ. Now, we also need to say this about these qualities and that is this, is that you don't get to pick and choose which of these eight qualities you like and the ones you don't like. We don't get the liberty to just cut out the words we don't like and say, actually, I don't want to be the one that shows brotherly affection, so I just won't do it. And then think, oh, I'm growing in godliness because I cut out the ones I don't like, but I'm doing really good on the ones I do like. We don't get the liberty to do that. All of these are there. All of them are mixed together in this bowl of godliness. And also, we have to remember this, that it's one thing to know what these are, it's another thing to practice these things. So it's not enough for us to say, oh yeah, I know, I need more self-control in my life, uh, but you never do anything about self-control. It's not okay to say, oh, I, I know that I, that I need to, to grow in knowledge, but I actually don't uh, do anything about that, or, or, or on and on and on. I need steadfastness, but I, but I don't do anything about it. No, the purpose of the list is not to just inform the mind, but to get you to move to action. In fact, he even says it in here. In verse 8, if these qualities are yours and what? And are what? Increasing. This is very practical for us, church. For you to know if you are in Christ for you to know if you're growing in godliness. Here's a list right here for you by which you get to evaluate for yourself. You get to take inventory on your own heart to see how you're doing and where you need to improve. As we try to add to our faith or supplement our faith, this is what he starts with. Number one of these virtues, faith. He starts with faith. All Christian virtues find its source, source in faith. This is an obtained faith. It is given to you by God. Ephesians 2 says it is a gift of God. And here he is not talking just about the faith that is given to us, but practically he's talking about faithfulness or a commitment to God in Jesus Christ. To mature in Christ, you must be committed to the process. You must trust the process. You must be faithful. In fact, if you remember in Luke 17, 5, the disciples said to Jesus Christ, you remember what they said? They said this, Lord, increase my faith. Grow my faith. Let me ask you a question. Let's get practical. When was the last time you asked Jesus Christ 
to increase your faith? When was that part of your prayer life? You just opened up, you say, Lord, I've got small faith, increase my faith. Grow my faith. This needs to be increasing in my life, Lord. I want to be like the disciples. I want to mature. I want to grow. Increase my faith. Secondly, he says this. Supplement your faith with what? Virtue. Supplement your faith with virtue or with moral excellence. This is simply this. Being honorable. Obeying scripture. Being kind. Not doing anything that someone can accuse you for doing evil. You're just doing what is right. Obeying scripture. And this is, listen, this is a, a daily decision in your life where you have a crossroads in, your, in, in, in a decision and the decision you make is this, I'm going to choose to do what is right and not choose to do what is wrong. When you choose to do what's right, you have virtue, you have godliness, you have moral excellence, but when your life is defined by somebody who constantly and daily chooses to do what is wrong, to do what is evil, to fall into temptation, then you are not virtuous. And our lives need to display that of of moral excellence in our life. Let me ask the question again, as I did with faith. Let me ask the question. Do people look at your life and say, that man and that woman, they are filled with integrity and virtue. Can they say that about your life? What would your spouse say about your life? What would your coworkers say about your life? What would your neighbor say? For some of you, you share a wall with your neighbor. What, what would they say about your life? Would they say this person is growing in godliness and virtue and, and moral character? Number three is this. Not only faith and virtue, but now it's what? It's knowledge. It's knowledge, and and knowledge is a big deal to Peter. If you look back in verse 2, it says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you, what? In the knowledge of God. In verse 3, it says, He's given us His divine powers, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. And now he says it again, that we are to have knowledge. Knowledge of God. This is to be increasing in our lives. I think oftentimes, and unfortunately, this is kind of the byproduct of a, a self-help pulpit um, that is around many churches, is you open your Bible and you immediately look for yourself. Where, where am I in this text? You start filtering this through wanting to understand yourself. That's what self-help is about. When the Bible is actually about God, the Bible is primarily about God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the people that are in the Bible are all pointing us back to God. And so when we read our Bible, we're actually trying to learn more about who God is and the knowledge of Him. And Peter puts a premium on knowing who God is and knowing who Jesus Christ is, and he, and he does it over and over and over and over again. And in fact, the final verse in, in, verse th- in, verse, uh, in chapter 3 and verse 18 is that you would grow in the knowledge of God. 
The Apostle Paul said this in, in 1 Corinthians 2, 2. He said this, For I am determined to know nothing less than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Guys, we're, we're heading into, the, into, uh, into, va- into vacation kind of summer mode uh, for, for some of you, and you, you've got your plans for, for vacation. Some of you have got plans even for, for lunch this afternoon. Some of you have plans for tomorrow, how you're going to celebrate the day. You've got plans for work. When it comes to the knowledge of God, do you have a plan to know God this summer? What is your plan to gain knowledge this summer? We've got all kinds of plans, right? Do you have a plan to grow in godliness? Do you have a goal by which you're saying, I want to know this about God. I want to study this about God. I, I, I want to grow and increase in knowledge. What is your game plan then for wanting to grow in the knowledge of God? Because this is what it's about. We want his divine power in our life. We want to understand his promises in our life. We want to be partakers in the divine nature. We want to know that we've got all these provisions. How do we gain all these provisions? That it comes through understanding who God is. And you've got to have a plan for that. Again, you don't just wake up knowing God better. You don't just fall asleep at night knowing God better. It comes with knowledge and understanding and a plan for by which you're going to grow in the knowledge of God. Number four, self-control. Self-control. Literally, this word means this, to get a hold of something or to get a grip. I'd like to think this is where we get, get the phrase, get a grip, man. Hey, get a grip. You're out of control. Get it together. <laughs> this word has that idea to it where with this knowledge then comes self-control. Where you've got a grip on your life. Self-control points to this, this inner power to control one's own desires and cravings. And listen to this, self-control is a result of knowing God. If you truly know God, then you will begin to live a life of self-control. They go together. True knowledge of God, listen, true knowledge of God does not lead to freedom to live however you want. True knowledge of God does not lead to a life that's out of control. The true knowledge of God leads to a life that is self-controlled. To have God-empowered mastery over internal desires. It's not wild and free. Wild and free in your beliefs. Wild and free in your behaviors. In fact, Solomon said this in Proverbs 25, 28. He says this, A man without self-control is like a city broken into, left without walls. Saying this, somebody who is out of control, they have no boundaries around them, and they're left wide open for the enemy to come in and destroy. 
And not only that, not only forgetting this as well, is that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, which means this, is that our lives need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And when we rely on Him, we have the power then to say no. And really, listen, let me just boil down self-control for you. It is the ability to say no. No to the lusts of the flesh. No to criticizing people. No to playing the role of a victim. No to watching and hearing things that cause temptation and eventual sin. No to inappropriate language. No to laziness. No to anger. No to having a critical spirit. No to the flesh. That's what self-control is. My wife had a had an idea, I'm still deciding if it was great or not, for us to start eating healthy. I, the jury's still out on if this is a great idea or not. All right, some people call it a diet. Some people are like, no, you don't call it a diet. It's just a way of living. Okay, well, whatever it is. Either way, I call it starving. Okay, that's, that's, that's what it is. It's just starving. It feels like it anyway. And every time I, I go to the pantry and I open up the pantry... I want to say yes to everything in the pantry because I'm so hungry. I open up the fridge. I'm like still, is it, and I ask him, is this, is, this, is this on the list? Like, is this on the list? Is ice cream on the list? Can it please next week be on the list? What am I, what am I learning to say? I'm learning to say No. That's what self-control is. You're just learning to say no. Because here's the thing. Your flesh will say yes every single time. It will say yes. It wants to criticize people. It wants to get angry. It wants to engage in the lust of the eye. It will say yes every single time. But self-control says no. And you start building walls around your life for the enemy not to invade and take over. Number five, steadfastness. Steadfastness, what is this? This is endurance. Literally, the word means to remain under, to remain under the trial as as it would be in James chapter one, where you have the courage and the steadfast endurance in the face of persecution and evil and temptation and trials, and you remain strong underneath the weight of the trial. You have steadfastness. In our culture today, are teaching our young people that when it gets hard, just simply give up. When things are difficult, hey, the grass is always greener on the other side. Just go to the other side, and if it's not greener, Then go back to the other side and just keep hopping back and forth, never learning steadfastness. I just spent some time, uh, uh, was it last week or at the end of last week, um, down in San Diego with one of my my really good friend who's a Navy SEAL. He's been doing it for for eight years, and I've learned since being there, there's, there's actually within Navy SEALs, there's actually good ones and bad ones. And I thought to myself, they're all amazing, right? Now, there's actually some that, that aren't as good as others. This one is a very good one. And he was talking about the, the training that they have for incoming SEALs, and they call it BUDS training, 
where you go through this really, really intense training. And throughout the training, you can't at any moment get up and you ring a bell and you say, that's it, I'm done. And what they're finding out recently is they're having more and more people ring the bell than ever before. They're even saying this, that this is a problem because the next generation isn't learning how to remain underneath a trial. They're just taken out of the trial and just put somewhere else. And he said, this is a problem because we need new ones over and over and over again. They even did an internal investigation to see if the training's gotten more difficult. And what they found out, if anything, it's actually gotten softer. As a believer, church, you need to grow in steadfastness. You need to be willing to remain underneath the trial. It's strengthening spiritual muscles. It builds perseverance. It displays Jesus Christ in your life. Romans 5 talks about this. As I said, James 1 talks about this. You remain faithful to God under pressure because your heart looks continually to God. And faith for strength and reward is... Jim Berg has said. Number six, after that is godliness, to be like God. We supply our faith now with a desire to be a worshiper of God, a desire to be like God. And I just want to say this as we think about godliness is this, godly people talk more about God than they do themselves. Okay? Godly people who are like God talk about God. Godly people act like God more than they act like the world. Godly people respond more like God than they respond in the flesh. Godly people worship God more than they worship themselves. And listen, God has given to us in Christ all the spiritual resources we need to become godly. They are ours for the taking. To be a worshiper of God. Number seven, brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. With godliness comes what? Brotherly affection. This is a kind, tender-hearted warmth towards others. It's being caring and sympathetic. It's wanting the best of others. And listen, it's brotherly affection. So this is specifically towards who? Other Christians. You have a special warmth for other believers, for other Christians because you're on the same mission, because you love the same things, you put preferences aside and you show brotherly affection because of the core of who we are, united in Jesus Christ. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Peter has already talked about this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 22 that, that we are to have a sincere brotherly love. Which leads to number eight then, which is this, love, the supreme virtue. The mark of a true believer is someone who loves Christ and loves others. The ultimate sign of spiritual maturity is when you're able to love God wholeheartedly and love others sacrificially. And so it culminates there with love. Well, let me give you our fourth point here and then we'll... 
will be done. It is this, a maturing believer confirms their calling. All of this leads up to what it says in verse 8. For these qualities are yours and increasing, what does it say? They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This must take action. If they're in you and they are, they are increasing, then you will be fruitful. You're saying, hey, I haven't been a fruitful Christian in a while, then go back and practice this, this list. It will make you fruitful. I feel like I'm ineffective in the Christian life. We'll go back to this list and start practicing this list. This is what a mature believer looks like. They display Christ. They walk with Christ. They're fruitful. For those of you who are backslidden in the Christian faith, those of you who have stalled out in the Christian faith, let me tell you what it says for you to do. Look at verse 9. This verse is for you. For whoever lacks these qualities is what? They're nearsighted and they're blind. Why are they nearsighted and blind? Because they've forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Listen, if you are struggling in your faith, if you don't have a walk right now, you have a crawl right now in the Christian life, this is for you. You need to remember the gospel. You need to go back and remember your sins have been forgiven. This is exactly what he says, that, that, that you, uh, that you who are, whoever lacks these qualities, you're so nearsighted that, that you become blind. What do you become blind to? You become blind to the fact that you have been cleansed from your former sins. Do you not understand the price that was paid for your salvation so that you could walk with Christ? We go back to the gospel again. Peter goes back to it again. This is the answer to your apathy, church. You've forgotten the gospel again. Go back to remember that you're a child of God and that you actually have everything you need in Jesus Christ to grow in these qualities. And in doing so, look what happens. In doing so, in verse 10, in doing so, you will be all the more diligent to what? To confirm your calling and election. For if you what? If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You will never stumble. It confirms your faith. It ratifies it. It validates it. You won't be perfect in growing in Christ, but you'll be working on it. You'll be maturing in it. You'll be increasing in it, growing in Christ, and you'll be all the more diligent then to confirm your calling and election. You practice these qualities. You will never fall. In this way, they will be richly provided for you, what? An entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It assures your salvation. Confirm your calling by practicing these virtues. That's what Peter wants for his readers. They don't want him to wonder, am I saved, am I not saved? They don't want him to wonder in the midst of persecution and hardship, their eternal state. So he says, hey, be all the more diligent, confirm your calling by practicing these things. This is how you will know. J. Vernon McGee says this. I'll close with this quote. 
While it is true that Christ has done everything necessary to save you and keep you saved, your Christian life to be meaningful is something that you have to work at. I've been married a long time and I've never had to lie awake at night and wonder whether or not I am married. But to make my marriage meaningful, I have to work at it. And I have been working at it for a long, long time. Likewise, in the Christian life, make your calling and election more sure. That is, let it become subjective in your own heart to know that you are a child of God. For if you do these things, you will never fall. I have talked with many Christians who have gotten into sin. It is very interesting to me that I've never talked yet to one who had the assurance of his salvation before he got into sin. You see, the person who lacks assurance lacks a solid foundation of the gospel and knowledge of God underneath him. And so what is he saying? He's saying this, go back to the gospel, go back to the gospel, go back to knowing God, lay that firm foundation and build it up with all these qualities and you will know for certain that you will never fail. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this encouragement. Lord, we know in the midst of this, we're going we're gonna to stumble. That's why the Bible talks about stumbling so often because it's going to happen. But Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts to continue on, to work hard. As the Apostle Paul said, I worked harder than anyone else. Motivate us, Lord, by the gospel this morning to live for you. To grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us as we even think about these things in our own life, the things that we need to work on. As I'm sure we've all sat here and as I did this week, going over these eight virtues, saying, man, I, I need to work on these things. I need to grow in these things. I need to mature in, in these areas, Lord. I pray that you'd give us the courage and the boldness now to go out and to actually work on those things by saying no to temptation, saying no to sin. And Lord, we know this to be true, that your grace and your mercy is more than all of our sins. And that you will continue to give us grace. You will continue to give us mercy when we do stumble. And you will be there to pull us back up again and to encourage us to continue to fight the good fight of faith that has been set before us. And so we lean in and we trust in you, the one who is the anchor to our hope, that is Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.